Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that wonderful, wonderful sound of the banjo means only one thing, and it's time for yet another episode of Three Beers In. My name is Dom, and this is episode 150 of our lovely show. And this uh, this drink, I am weaking uh, 18th Street Brewery Rubicon is the name of this beer, and it says here that it is a West Coast style um, India Pale Ale. Which is uh, a little, uh, you know, I've been craving one of those. I want to have one, a really good, <coughs> excuse me, um, IPA for a while. I'm back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to be here. This is a wonderful time to, 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 I just, I just got, I just got home from work and I came right down and decided to do a podcast, um, to do the podcast. It's, uh, it's so great to be back, uh, off of a bit of a hiatus. I mean, we're talking, uh, um, what, two weeks of no show, and I felt I started getting a little anxiety. But so much has happened in that short period of time that I can't wait to talk to you all about. <clears throat> Let's get started right off the bat with I went to Aruba. Okay, you know everyone. I told everybody. I said everybody on the show that I was a bit anxious about the flight. I was a bit anxious about how it was going to go. The flight down was pretty pretty rough. Um, uh, I, you know, I just I downloaded. This is so crazy. I downloaded uh, like five hours worth of a show that I was pretty sure that I would just love to watch. It was World War II in color, like the newest one. And I was like, I love World War II. I always fucking love that shit. So I I pigeonholed myself because I downloaded nothing but this one show. And then I'm like 10 minutes into the flight and I was, I could not get into it. I don't know why, but... It wasn't grabbing me in any way, shape, or form, and it fucked me bad because, like, I had nothing to, I had nothing to do. I, I had nothing downloaded else. I had nothing, and like, it was a Delta flight, and this plane, I think I read it online, was built in like 1997. So you know, it has TV screens, but the TV don't work. The movie don't work, but it has, uh, it has uh, games from like Windows 95 on it. So for five hours. I was playing a very bad Minesweeper type game, and it was miserable. It was just really bad. But I will say this: so, you know, on the flight, that long was rough, um, and uh, you know, no one had any windows open around me, so I couldn't really see outside. But when we landed, um, you know, as soon as as soon as you get off that plane, mind you, this is the first time I've ever been in a foreign country. This is the first time I've ever um, been in the Caribbean, obviously in the Caribbean. And, you know, the second that I got off the plane and I was able to see where I was, it was so surreal and so incredible and just so fascinating to me that I was in another country, that I was in another part of the world, you know? I'm, I'm like, uh, what was it, like 13 miles from Venezuela, which is just fucking mind-boggling to me. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing everybody speaking Dutch to each other and, and, their, and their native language, I think it's Penamencho or something. And it sounds just crazy, and the 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 weather it was so hot, but it wasn't like unbearable, and it was beautiful. I mean, the, just every inch of that island that I was able to see um, was just absolutely gorgeous. the The resort place was just fantastic, you know. And everyone's always like, you you shouldn't go off the resort, but when we got to where the resort was, um, you could see that the you know the towns. 
you know, in between the resorts and like the main city square type, you could t- you could see that it was a bit rough. You could see that there wasn't much going on down there. But um, when you when you um, the closer you get to the resorts, there's more stuff going on. There's more liveliness, you know, and, and it was you know the more entertainment and stuff like that. I, I definitely would have next time I go, I'm going to go off the resort to to some of the stuff that's um that's near there because there's there's stuff, there's clubs and stuff around, and uh, the food is better they say when you go off the reservation, so to speak. But nonetheless, we were in paradise. Literally, the view was incredible. I was in the pool every day. It was the first time I was ever in an ocean. I've never, I never jumped in an ocean before. I went in the Caribbean Sea. It's a sea, whatever, an ocean, a sea. My body length hangs over the both of them. So it was just, it was really cool, man. I, I think I was in the, the sea there, the, the Caribbean Sea for, for, for uh, four hours straight. Four hours straight. I was just, I was just so having so much fun just swimming around and, and just the water was warm and, I was just floating there with some friends and just chit-chatting the whole time. And then uh, back at the resort, there was a pool bar. So you go up, you swim up to the pool bar. I was drinking this mango slushy and rum. It was a true vacation. And it was also a a wedding. And I got to witness a a beautiful wedding. Uh, We went to this restaurant called The Flying Fishbone. Shout out to The Flying Fishbone, by the way. And uh, it's, it's heralded as the best restaurant in Aruba, which, I mean, that's a pretty hefty claim and uh and it lived up to it it really was absolutely fantastic i was sitting in the water like the tables at some point at a certain point in the venue they were in the water on like a patio that went up to about your knee and they had like higher chairs so you could sit and you could dangle your feet in the water and there was fishies running around it was just absolutely incredible i know for a fact that i I turned to my wife and I said, listen, I, we, we have to come back here. We have to do this again. I couldn't believe it. I really, it, it blew away my expectations. I knew I was going to have a nice time. I knew it was going to be great. And I knew it was going to be fantastic, but it really blew away, blew away my expectations. And, and it was great. They do have two beers down there in, um, in Aruba. I think the first one, I forgot the name. The first one's called like Baldarini and it's kind of like a, it's an adjunct lager. Or an ad, you know, or an adjunct ale. It's it's like a Heineken, you know, or like a Budweiser. It's nothing uh, too crazy. Just a little bit more malty. Um, it was your standard, you know, malt beverage. And then they had a beer called Chill, which was more on the Corona side, I want to say, but uh, nothing to to write home about. I don't think there is a craft beer scene down there. Uh, I didn't inquire, but. Um, because I was just having too much of a good time. And uh, I was drinking mixed drinks the entire time. So I hadn't had beer until I came home. And drum roll, please. That's the drum roll. The beer was ready to drink, okay? The beer that I created, the entire house stunk, or the whole house stunk, I forgot which how I named it, was prepared, was ready to go. It was conditioned in the bottle. There was nothing more exciting than... Now, open. There was nothing more exciting than opening up one of those beers, and hearing a full-fledged carbonation like that—that that, you know—that you get when you open up a beer, and pouring that stuff out, and you know, it had great color to it. Um, it was hazy; it wasn't clear. Uh, excuse me. Um, which I know now I can fix uh, with certain techniques, and which I will do in the next batch. But. Didn't know what the alcohol content one was it, um, but I um, it was strong. It was very very malt forward, and then extremely bitter on the back end. 
fairly good. If I were to rate it, honestly, honestly, if I were to rate it, I would give it like a 5.5. Middle of the road. It was pretty good. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, I wouldn't go buy what I made, honestly. Honestly speaking, you know, I think I will always be a very big critic of the things that I create, uh, especially when it comes to the beer. You know, and I think a big part of it is, am I willing to share it? You know, am I willing to get this beer out there to people that I am friends with and that, uh, you know, enjoy beer as well to just let them experience it? And this one I would share. I would share it because <clears throat> even though it wasn't, you know, it didn't knock my pants off, you know what I mean? Or knock your socks off, so to speak. It was still drinkable. It was still pretty decent. And it was still something that I made. And I'm, I was proud. I am proud that uh, it was a, a complete product. Like it wasn't a complete, it wasn't like a wash. It wasn't like bad. That was my biggest fear was doing all that work, waiting all this time, trying to pay close attention, trying to, you know, make sure everything was okay. And then it being blown up and being bad. Um, that was not the case. Bottling it was not that bad. I don't think I talked about bottling on the show, but bottling was pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, it took a little bit longer for me because I was, I was being so focused on the sanitizing factor, which from now on I'm going to do because none of the beers got sick. Like there was no infection in the in the beer. There was nothing wrong uh, once uh, post-fermentation. Though what did happen was it was a little bit too cold down here, I think, for the beer to ferment properly. And that's when I – because I opened one up when I was doing laundry uh, when I came – I think when I came back from – right before I left for Aruba – and the carbonation wasn't that strong, and it was really sweet. So the sugar that was in there was still, you know, there, and the, and the yeast wasn't eating it. So I brought it upstairs to a, a more temperature-controlled location, and the finished product was pretty good. It, you know, I, I'm, I got some le- – so, you know, the finished product, I was left with like 41 beers or 43 beers. I, I tested a couple, so, you know, that didn't count. But, you know, I, there was a lot of beer. I mean, so – the other day, I was like, you know, let me just fucking drink this stuff. I put, I had about six of them, you know, a nice sixer. I wanted to have a nice time, and it was, it's pretty boozy stuff. After six, I, I, I felt it, you know. So I would say it's in the seven to eight percent alcohol by volume range, and uh, there is a select group of people that are hearing this podcast that are going to get samples of this beer. I would love to send it to you guys as soon as possible, which I will try to do. I'm not gonna. I can, I can only send one. You know, unfortunately, but uh, and as time goes on, I will be able to send more, especially if the product, I mean, if the, the the product, if the result of what I do gets even better over time. But nonetheless, the beer was a success in terms of the fact that you can drink it. Um, and I, I, now I just got to find time for my next project, for my next batch, because it's going to be pretty busy. I mean, Thanksgiving just happened. By the way, happy th- belated Thanksgiving to all my listeners. And I want to thank you all for listening. I'm very thankful for you guys. This has been the best year of my life. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna rope in the end of 2018 for that, too. You know, being that I got married, I had a baby, I had the rebirth of this podcast. A lot of new things happening. I was able to brew a beer. It, it was fantastic, you know. And I'm just really, really happy that everybody here that listens was along for the ride. The podcast is doing great. Uh, what else? I was thankful for everything. And I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for, for everybody that we, uh, listens week in and week out. I um, do want to touch upon the fact that my wife kind of let the cat out of the bag that what she wants to do. Now, I don't know if this is true. I think they're maybe just trying to um, – they, they could – because even my parents were in on this. So maybe they're trying to like – um, what what is it? Do like a disinformation thing to try to throw me off the scent of another trail. 
but they want to take the old refrigerator that we have up in the apartment and bring it get get it down here in the basement and I could use it for for beer, right? And then we get a new fridge up in the apartment and stuff like that. So that excited me big time because if that is indeed true, that means big things for my fermentation. I'm going to try to take that fridge and turn it into a fermentation chamber in- instead of actually a fridge for beer. Because uh, what you can do, and I was reading about this online, is you can convert refrigerators into ferment- fermentation chambers by um, purchasing a device. It's called the Inkbird. And I, th- I think it's specifically used for this particular uh, venture, or it could be used um, in greenhouse um, uh, projects as well, because it works. It, so what happens is y- you get a, a, a device where you could set temperature parameters. Like, say I want the temperature to be um, from 62 to 74 degrees, and that's for like an ale yeast, a specific ale yeast. And um, it has a heater plug and a cooler plug. And what you do is you get a, like a, it's an electric heater. It's in the shape of a cone and it's plastic that you could put in the refrigerator and you plug that into the heater plug. And then there's the cooler plug, which you obviously will plug the the refrigerator into that and then plug that device into the wall outlet. And what it does is uh, there's a temperature gauge that will rest inside the fridge or now the new fermentation chamber and it will it'll regulate the temperature. So if it uh, if it gets a little bit too hot, like pe- if it goes beyond the seventy five, I mean the seventy four that you put in the parameters, the compressor will kick on and it'll cool down inside until it gets into that temperature range. And if it goes below the sixty two that you put on there, it'll kick on the uh, it'll turn off the, f- the fridge compressor compressor and turn on the heater to keep it level in there as well. And when when that that is absolutely um, paramount to the uh, home brewing, especially for me, because that was my main gripe, was the temperature control. I wanted to make sure I had the proper temperature. This means I could lager beer. This means I could brew um, uh, beers that are very specific in terms of the yeast you have to use um, for the temperature control and stuff like that. It means I could probably also dry hop a little bit easier as well because it's just going to reduce the time that the beer in the fermentation phase is going to have a fluctuation in temperature. So that's up on the horizon for me. Made out like a bandit on Black Friday. I hope all you did too. Um, I'm not going to give out what I did. I'm not going to give out those details just yet. But just in case my wife listens because I really got her a whole bunch of good stuff because she's been so great to me. For the We're going to be married a year this Saturday. And um, I got her some nice stuff. Because she's been such a wonderful wife and a wonderful person in my life, and I wanted to show my appreciation. So I got her some nice things, and I'll talk about it, um, you know, after she gets those gifts and stuff like that. What else am I going to talk about? Went to Aruba. The beer is drinkable, and I'm so excited for my next project. I I just really got to find the time, because right now the holidays are here. A lot going on. My main goal, honestly speaking, with, with, with home brewing is to maybe get three batches going at once. You know, and once I get the bottles, once I get the 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 space and the, and the routine, you know, narrowed down, like not narrowed down, but like, um, down pat. What's down pat. What's another way to say down pat. Let me take a sip of beer and think. Once I get my shit together, I think I'll be able to have three batches going at once, but I want to try to, um, do it. So I got a batch. I always want to have beer to drink. There was nothing cooler than going into my refrigerator 
and finding a whole mess of beer that I didn't have to go out and buy. I made it. I made it and I liked it. I made it, I liked it, I drank it. All great stuff. All great stuff. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I understand that I have to, I have to be cautious because at, at any moment I could create a beer that's going to be bad. And I know that day might come that I crack open a beer that I made and it's going to be off. And that might break my heart a little bit. But if I have another beer ready to go right after that, I might not be so sad. So I want to try to line it up so that I have multiple things going on at once. And I, and I think for the fridge that I'll be putting down here, I might be able to put two fermentation buckets in there. But I don't know. Only time will tell. But, um, oh, what was that noise? Let's, uh, let's discuss the hop of the week, shall we? Okay. This week, we will be looking at El Dorado. Okay, El Dorado is a relatively new kid on the blog. This is from hoplist.com. I always get my hop information from hoplist.com, just in case you're curious. El Dorado is a relatively new kid on the block, created by Moxie Valley-based CLS Farms LLC in 2008. It was released to the public in 2010, a product of the Yakima Valley's cooler climate. It features a uniquely fruity flavor profile in addition to desirable bittering and aromatic properties. Uh, high vigor, high alpha acids, lots of oils and, and resins, good storage stability, and an exceptional yield also make this, on paper at least, an outstanding commercial variety. It exhibits bold tropical fruit flavors said to be reminiscent of pineapple and mango, in addition to a resinous back note. Uh, on the nose, it imbues aromas of pear, watermelon, stone fruits, and even candy. To date, it has been used in wheat beers, pale ales, and IPAs. Uh, so the flavors are tropical fruit, uh, fruit, pineapple, mango, and the aromas of pear, watermelon, stone fruit, and candy. Alpha acid composition is 13 to 17%. It's used for its bittering and aroma, so it seems to be like a hop that... Uh, oh, and the substitutes you could use are Galena and uh, Simcoe hops, so it seems to be a hop that you can just do a single hop for because you're going to get the aroma and the bitter, uh, bittering characteristics at the exact same time, um, which is pretty neat because, as I've learned, hops have all different... Uh, uh, different roles when it comes to your craft beers. So that's the hop of the week. I have some beer news that I want to get to. Nothing too crazy. Uh, so so let me play the music for you. For the... Excuse me, for the beer news. This also gives me an opportunity to drink. Have your sips now, ladies. Sorry for the burping. Sometimes, sometimes you just can't help the burps. So, what do you got for the beer news? Boom, number one. First thing that I saw recently from uh, sjbeerscene.com, southjerseybeerscene.com, one of the greatest websites I think I've ever come across. And I, I got to maybe just throw them an email and thank them for, you know, the fact that they give me all this information that I could bring to the people that everyone can hear. Uh, so, uh, South Jersey Beer Scene. They had an article entitled Dogfish Head to release over 160 unique offerings in 2020. Uh, yep, that's right. They released their calendar uh, recently, and it's quite ambitious. Uh, this is from 
their brewery. And they write, since the day its doors opened nearly 25 years ago, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery has prided itself on creating innovative, well-differentiated beers and spirits. In 2020, it's doubling down on its offbeat approach to liquid artistry with plans to release more than 160 unique products from the brewery's lineup of regional and national beers and scratch-made distilled spirits. Uh, to the ever-expanding list of exclusive libations available only at its coastal Delaware properties, dogfish drinkers both near and far can eagerly anticipate the new year to be chock-full of off-centered goodness. Uh, what do we have here? Let me see. I'm going to scroll through and see if they got something. Okay, here we go. So here's um, here's going to be some of the year-round offerings. They're going to have Slightly Mighty, a 4.0 ABV, uh, low-cal IPA with all the flavor and tropical aromas of the world-class IPA, but only 95 calories and 3.6 carbs, 1 gram of protein, and 0 grams of fat per 12-ounce servings. I actually want to try that. I always felt, I, I, I want to see that if they can pack the flavor in a in a, a, a big beer in a small package, so to speak. I always, <clears throat> I always thought it wouldn't be possible or anything like that, but we'll see. Uh, they have their, obviously, their 60-minute IPA is going to be available. The Sequench Ale, which is a really, really refreshing session sour, as they call it. And I absolutely love it. They're going to have the 90-minute, which is, uh, you know, they have the 60, the 90, and the 120-minute, where they're adding hops every minute of the brew. And here we have Super 8. 8 is in all caps. A full-flavored sour brewed with a bevy of heroic ingredients, including prickly pear, mango boysenberry, blackberry raspberry, elderberry, kiwi, red quinoa, and Hawaiian sea salt. This sounds pretty interesting. Liquid truth serum, 7.0% alcohol by volume, and unfiltered IPA brewed with whole leaf, liquefied, pelletized, and powdered hops. So every form of hop that you could get, <laughs> that's interesting, uh, for citrusy, tropical notes, and a juicy, hoppy flavor. I like the sounds of that. Midas Touch, I think that was out already, Midas Touch, but it's a beer-wine-mead hybrid brewed with saffron for a sweet yet dry recreation of an ancient liquid found in King Midas's tomb. Uh, they have here Palo Santo Maron. It's 12%. Oh, Midas Touch is 9%. The, unfil- the, the liquid truth here was 7 if I didn't say it. And they have here the Palo Santo Maron, 12%, an unfiltered, unfettered, unpredicated brown ale aged on Palo Santo wood. That is interesting. I would really like to try that. Uh, American Beauty Hazy Ripple IPA, 7%, a newly released collaboration with Grateful Dead that is brewed with spelt, an ancient heirloom grain uh, that contributes earthy notes and a natural haze and dosed with a special yeast strain designed to liberate hop aromatics. That sounds really cool. And that is going to be their lineup um, for the 2020. And they also have, oh, hold on a second. What's this? What's this? They're also going to be doing a 75-minute IPA. Um, they have the perfect size, which was that Kolsch, which it was all right. Uh, pumpkin ale, campfire amplifier, a new s'mores-centric milk stout brewed with marshmallows, graham crackers, chocolate, and a touch of smoked malt. Interesting. Uh, and they're going to have the 120, but that's going to be occasionally, But it's, and that's 15 to 20%, that 120. And, and last but not least, it says here, Costumes and Karaoke, a new complex oat cream ale brewed with turmeric, ginger, yellow cardamom, cinnamon, a smoked star anise, and aged in Madagascar vanilla beans. That's going to taste funky. 
I'll tell you that right now. There's a little niche in there. It's going to be a little weird. I'll tell you what, though. Everything that Dogfish Head has put out, I respect it. Though I don't like it all, if I'm going to be honest. There's been some stuff that they've done that I haven't enjoyed. But nonetheless, that's pretty, pretty cool. So what else we have here? Um, I had the Dogfish Head article I wanted to talk about. What else? What else? What else? Um... Now I read this, so I'm not gonna. I I I have it at the top of my head. I forgot to write this down. I I, I didn't. I wasn't really prepared. Prepared. So sorry. So sue me uh, for this podcast in terms of the news. I'm gonna ramble off to something that I read. So Ballast Point was acquired by a pretty was acquired by I think uh, San San Mahal, like the fucking one of the big ones. And now this is happening a little bit more recently because this is two breweries that's gonna happen to you now. So. The Ballast Point is getting sold again, but they're being sold to a group of investors. They're not a big company, right? It's a it's a place that's called excuse me. It's called Kings and Shit. Kings and Crooks, I think it's called, right? Don't quote me on that. But they're basically being sold again. And this is not a big brewery. It's not a big beer company. It's a group of investors. And then also after, uh, you know, in terms of that, Anderson Valley Brewing Company also uh, sold to another, like, small group of investors. So it's like now we're seeing some big money getting in there, but it's not a big beer brewer, like a big beer conglomerate that's doing it. So I find that a little bit interesting to see. And, you know, it, it the, the Kings and Convicts, that's what it's called, Kings and Convicts. Um, already had some beers in a lineup, but like I didn't really ever hear about them. But I I, I knew a guy. I, I was talking about this with a friend, buddy of mine at work, and he had said that he had met them at a beer tasting establishment thing. And there, it's an English guy and an Australian guy. And the the English guy, of course, said you know they're the kings, and the Australian people are the convicts. And um, he said they were very charming and stuff like that. But I don't know. They're they're operating out of Chicago. This Kings and Convicts place, you know, it's a small brewery, but there's a lot of money behind it because there's like a, some sort of like small, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, like a group of investors that are, that are the people that are, um, that are doing, uh, doing this, whatchamacallit, this venture. But w- one thing I wanted to touch upon, because I got a, I got a email recently, uh, from somebody and that's kind of like. Once I got this email, it kind of opened up a can of worms for me in terms of a discussion that I want to have. <clears throat> and I'm going to read the email uh, right now. It's from uh, Thomas out of Asheville, North Carolina. And um, he says, dearest three beers in. I like that uh, intro. And here we go. This is what he writes. It's a long one. And uh, I didn't really read the whole thing, but I got the gist of what was going on. And I really wanted to, I want to get, I want to, I want to answer him. So he goes, uh, to me, it's funny how some people take the brewer, the Brewers Association definition of craft so seriously. And I think he's responding to me and how I, I do uh, talk about it in such a way. Many people are unaware that BA keeps changing their standards to boost how they look in the market in the past in the past, using fermentable adjuncts such as corn or rice would disqualify disqualify you from being craft. This kept out Yingling for a long time as they made a macro-style adjunct lager. However, beers like Pliny, Pliny, whatever the fuck, the Elder, and brewers such as Sierra Nevada actually use some amount of corn syrup in their beers. 
Did this disqualify them? No, but the BA admitted the rule uh, admitted that the rule was antiquated in 2014 and removed it. But the real motivation was so they could include Yingling's production numbers to boost craft beer beer's market share after losing some big breweries to buyouts such as Goose Island, etc. They have also consistently raised the production cap to keep breweries like Boston Beer Company within the definition. Now Boston Beer is a huge beverage company that creates a variety of non-beer drinks, is publicly owned, and is hardly a small independent craft producer. But keeping them in keeping them in makes craft numbers look good. Also, I'm pretty sure that BA uses the production numbers of Truly and other non-beer drinks to further boost their numbers. So it is really silly how seriously people take the BA definition. I think it is fine to value independence as well as style, quality of the product, but I generally think craft is more of a vague idea people have and not some strictly defined thing. I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I don't think it's right for you to call it silly. I don't think it's silly. I think the intention, and with all due respect, I I respect your opinion. I think it's great, and I really uh, particularly uh, thank you for, for emailing in and um and and giving me and sharing your opinion with me but um i don't think it's silly i i, I think uh, the the it's all about the power of the consumer i think that if i am if i believe very strongly in craft and independent brewing and i believe very strongly in having multiple experiences in terms of going to get different types of beers from different types of brewery and and one for me particularly having a show where i talk about only craft beer then it's not silly of me to to want to find some sort of symbol or some sort of easier way for me to find out if indeed the beer is craft. It's not the fault of the consumer or of anyone who who looks on the side of a bottle to find that label. You know, it's not their fault that the association changes their standards in terms of what they need to do in order to make themselves seem relevant in the market share. I think your real gripe is with the Brewers Association, not so much with the people that are trying to support uh, local and craft um, beer. Though you did come after them a little bit in your in your in your in your opinion that you shared with me here today. So I think that maybe you should check yourself when it comes to that. Okay, it's not silly that people want to uh, you know, support craft breweries and support small independent. Sure, Boston Beer Company, you know, they are publicly owned. They they have they have other ventures and stuff like that. Stone Brewery, I just saw it on Facebook before I got on the show here, is opening up in China. What are we going to do now? Are we going to we going to vilify them? Are we going to vilify Stone, one of the biggest advocate for craft brewing in, in since it started? Are you now going to say to them, well, they've sold it. They didn't sell out. They're just, they're moving on. They're, 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 they're expanding their already, their, their business. It's already established. Okay. So I don't think it's fair for you to take a company that started from the bottom. Now it's here. Okay. And then just throwing it into the wayside, like you just said about Boston Beer Company and stuff like that. Yeah. They make truly. And yes, guess what? They're, that's their market share and it's their, they're in the business. And they're biting into the big beverage business. I say big beverage because that, I mean, there's just so much more InBev. There's so much more Miller Coors, so much more Man, San Man Wanguha and Heineken. Okay. So, I mean, guess what? If, if Stone wants to go to China, because it said Stone Beijing right underneath, 
And they're going to go to China, and I don't know if they're going to be producing there. I don't know what they're going to be doing, if they're going to be selling their products there. So now what? If if they make a, they start making more profit, if they start brewing, they're starting the more profit to expand their business. Now we're going to say, oh, they're not independent anymore. They're not. Independent means you're not a part of the machine, okay? That's what I believe. Not part of the machine. Boston Beer Company makes a lot of money. Yes, they're expanding. Yes, they have more products. But they're not the machine. They're still dwarfed in comparison to, to InBev. Dwarfed. I can't give you the numbers off the top of my head, but it's substantial. It is absolutely substantial. So I do appreciate your opinion. I do appreciate you sharing with me and I being able to share it on this podcast. But don't call people silly because they believe in a certain thing. They believe in craft and they believe in the message that it sends to people. And they believe in, in, in good beer and solid beer. Okay. Let them decide what they purchase. Let them decide with what they do with their money and who they give it to. Because I'd much rather anybody say, man, this Boston Lager is pretty good, or this Rebel IPA is pretty good, or this Sam 76 is an interesting take on beer, than saying, let me get that Bush Light, okay? Because that Boston Lager, that type of Boston Beer Company stuff, for thousands, if not millions of Americans— was the stepping stone to trying other craft beers and getting really into the nitty-gritty when it comes to, you know, supporting the craft community and stuff like that. I hope I didn't come off abrasive, but that's that's my opinion on uh, what you just said. So we're going to move on to the beer review portion of the show. So like I said, this week I'm drinking from 18th Street Brewery, which I don't even know if they're craft, to be honest. If that, we're going to talk, keep talking about that. And it is a, a uh, West Coast style India Pale Ale. Um, I was pretty hyped for this beer, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I already had one and it just it, it does not live up to uh, what I thought it was going to be. Um, first of all, pouring it out, it's a clear color. It's not hazy, um, which was a bit disappointing because I wanted to have like a juice bomb situation. Uh, I did see some little little bit of lactose flakes floating around in there. And I learned recently through my research of trying to see if maybe I could brew a New England-style IPA, the lactose that's added. Now, th- th- hear me out here because this is pretty important. I always thought it was just a gimmick or some weird shit like that. But the more you know, the more you learn, the lactose that they actually put in these brews changes the mouthfeel. The juice bomb thickness that you get, like think back to when you had your last real good juice bomb in terms of the Neapas. You got that thicker mouthfeel, that smooth, velvety mouthfeel. That's what the lactose does. Okay. So very important that you guys now know that. It's really great. So when you see lactose flakes or you see a beer that has lactose in it, that's not one of those milkshake orange creamsicle situations. Um, you know that that is going to have a, a smooth, velvety uh, mouthfeel. So I saw some lactose flakes floating around in here, and that actually got me excited. But it is a crystal, crystal clear beer, which is interesting. So let me see what we got here. Let me get it. The nose on there, very bright, very fruity aroma. Um, A little dank. I I thought it was going to be quite hoppy. I thought it was going to be very hop forward and stuff like that. But then I tasted it, and this is... It's very light. It's such a light. I don't even know. What's the ABV on this? I'm dropping the ball here. 
Brewed in Canon, Indiana. How does it not have it on the can? Like what the ABV is? Alright, let me pour the rest of it out now. I gotta look it up. It's gonna drive me fucking nuts. I'm one of those people that it's gonna drive me out of my goddamn mind. Hang on a second. But anyway, just to, um, Rubicon, 18th Street. Yeah, so it was really interesting. I found that out about the, um, about the, uh, whatchamacallit, the lactose in the beer, uh, knowing that it will, um, add that mouthfeel, you know. So I'm not as intimidated now when it comes to, uh, thinking about, uh, brewing my own. The color is really nice. It's it's crystal clear though. It's not very cloudy whatsoever. The head is a it's a foamy white head. Got good retention. Let me take another sip here while I wait. Just doesn't hit that juice bomb mark. And now my shit isn't working. Okay, it's a 7.2. It's got a pretty decent score on um on um we call it beer advocate and it says here it's brewed with amarillo and centennial hops and it says it's a west coast ipa but it's it's style in the beer advocate is a american ipa so i don't know if it's an identity crisis that's going on here but you get the alcohol burn a little bit um it's not too bitter it's not too sweet it's right down the middle it's 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 this is just a classic ipa it's just it's bright. It's got some nice fruity flavors to it. A little bit of a dry finish, but not too crazy. Definitely crushable. I could drink maybe six or seven of these easy. Let's see. It's got a slight pineapple-y taste to it. A slight mango taste to it, but it's not very full flavored. It's very... It's very medium to, to light flavored beer here. So it's kind of like, I don't want to put it in the same category as like, you know, when you have like a orange seltzer and if you, and you take a sip and you're like, oh, it's like drinking a Fanta, but it's not, you know, it's, it's got that just slight orange flavor to it. That's kind of what's happening here, but not quite. It's on the edge of that. I'm going to give this beer, I'm going to give it a, a 5.7. Okay, it, it could do more. It definitely could do more. It could be better, but it isn't god awful. You know, I wouldn't buy it again. You know, but that's not too. It's not too bad. A pretty, a pretty short beer review this week. Um, still getting into the swing of things. I'm so happy to be back. I will be back next week with another awesome show. <clears throat> I mean, to, don't let me. I'm not tooting my own horn here. But I will be back with another show next week. Thank you so, so much, everybody, for listening. I do appreciate you tuning in. I'm so glad to be back. And I'm going to catch you guys. Um, I'm going to catch you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Eli Manning playing one last time this Monday night. Take care, everybody. Be well. <laughs>